been studying Ephesians 6, uh, talking about uh, the armors of God. Remember that? So we just go straight to verse number 16 today. Ephesians 6, verse 16. Ephesians 6, verse 16. The world said, Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked above all taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked the word wicked there actually means that which is hurtful that which can hurt you it also means evil. Evil that properly affects or influences you for your heart or guilt. It could stand for the devil if you will. It means something that is bad, something that is evil, something that is grievous, something that is malicious. It speaks of wickedness. Amen. That is the word wicked. I'm just trying to look at that. Then we have the word faith. You know the word what you need your faith for is to stand against that which is malicious that which is hurtful, that which will bring guilt to your life and all of that. Anything that will have negative influence In your life. So faith, the word faith is pistis in the Greek and it means persuasion. It talks about being persuaded, credence, moral conviction, and I like this aspect of religious truth or the truthfulness of God or a religious teacher. Hallelujah. The persuasion or the conviction of a religious truth or the truthfulness of God or a religious teacher. In other words, your faith simply comes to this point in every situation and say, I know my Redeemer, leave it. When you make such statement in the face of difficulties, you are saying you know the God you trust. That is faith. Amen. What are you saying? You're saying, I believe what Jesus can do. And if you have to take it from the point of the truthfulness of a religious teacher. By implication, sometimes when faith is not at work in your life, you are indirectly saying you do not seem to trust Jesus enough to do what he promises to do. I, I don't know if you're getting this. Listen again. Moral conviction of religious truth or the truthfulness of God or a religious teacher. How truthful is God to you? That is the issue of faith. When things are off, when things are done, when things... Oh man, how truthful is God still to you? That is when we begin to say for you. You see, you can hear the convention of the... 
of the three Hebrew children. If, it, if God will, let him deliver out. Otherwise, we are not mindful. Faith. Did you get that? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They believed it. They had faith. Hallelujah. Then we say, especially reliance upon Christ for what? For salvation. Not the salvation of you are now in faith. I mean, you come into the Lord the first time. No. It goes beyond that. In other words, salvation means deliverance in all situations. Provision in all situations. Are you catching that? Reliance. That's dependent. So, when we even talk about faith for money, in other words, we're talking about depending on Christ, relying on Christ to provide in times of need. That is how much faith is supposed to be. That is what faith really is. And one good thing I've discovered is if you truly try to exercise faith, God himself shows up on your behalf. You see? It means an assurance. In other words, when situation seems rough, you still have the conviction or the assurance that you are going to go through. An assurance. It means belief. It means faith. Peace is. It's a very strong word that we need to understand as it relates to this particular scripture. So, now we're looking at situations where we need to raise up our faith. Okay. So now, let's move down just a little bit. He said, the sheet of faith. Sheet, as a reminder here, like we said prior to this time, is part of the armor by which we quench the fiery darts of the enemy. And I'm going to look at a few things by which the enemy attacks us. It's not the issue of some of the conjectures we've had about the issue of the enemy. We need to see from the perspective that Paul himself was discussing. Are we together? I said the attacks of the enemy are swift and they're fierce and then they are violent. In other words, they can just come unexpectedly when you least expect it. And once in a while, because at the end you're going to find that sometimes when you lower your shield, it simply means you are not conscious of your atmosphere or your environment. Okay, let's look at what are some of the weapons of the enemy against our shield or faith? What are some of them? <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. What are some of the, the weapons of the enemy against our shield? One, they are lies. Lies. Two, Deception or depression. Just want to write them down. We may not be able to analyze all. But take it. Lies, depression, guilt, sicknesses, sins, lost, doubts, deceptions or deceits, hatred, jealousy. Can I take the list again? There are more, but I just want to mention this. What did I say? Lies, depression, guilt. Yeah, that's what it is. It's wrong. So don't mind it. Correct it. Are you seeing it there? Lies, depression, guilt, sicknesses, sins, loss, doubts, deceptions. Or deceit, hatred, jealousy, 
envy, begin to add. You can add as many as you can. Now, when it comes to the issue of doubt, you are, sometimes you do not only doubt God, you even doubt not only yourself, you even doubt your spouse. I don't know if you're getting this. You can doubt your husband, you can doubt your wife. You can doubt your child, you can doubt your father. All these are deceptions. You see, the enemy doesn't really have much power. Because if you really remember, Jesus said he came to destroy him. And if you go to John 12, 31, he said, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the priests of this world be cast out. But we don't understand that the only tricks of the enemy is in this area. He doesn't have any power. Hallelujah. You, you get that? So you check yourself. Now sometimes unnecessarily you'll be living in guilt. Maybe based on your past sin or certain things. But you see you can approach God and God can instantly forgive you. But you can still be carrying that burden, that guilt around you. Weigh you down, making you not to be happy. Why do you think people are not happy in life? Most often it is this result of guilt. And then it brings depression to your life. Where you are supposed to be joyful, you find that you are depressed. Either because something is missing instantly. Something often makes me to remember or feel, I think, this way. I can imagine the way Jacob was when Joseph was taken away from him. I can just simply picture. Because it's like the kind of depression and the feeling he had was going to go with him to the grave. This man, I feel, was continuously sorrowful because he lost Joseph, somebody he loved so well. But that thing that was supposed to be depressive to him was a preservating move of God to preserve not just him, but the entire nation. You see what I mean? But because you can't see it, because Joseph can't see it, he was depressed all the time. He was depressed all the time. So depression is one of those things. Like I said, time will not permit us to analyze this. But you know, even, even, even Paul, with all of his might as an apostle, came to the place of being dispersed of life. Second Corinthians. Remember that? If you look at chapter 1, I think verse number 6 or thereabout. He simply said, we're dispersed of life. What it means to say it, it came to a point where we think we need to commit suicide. You see? It, it just can happen to anybody. Depression. And it's a very terrible thing. When you meditate so much on some of the things you seem not to have, or some of the things you think you should have had and you don't have them, definitely you're going to fall into the state of depression. And that is the enemy just trying to come in to rob you of your joy and your strength in God. Are you getting what I'm talking about? Hallelujah. Okay. Uh, often and again, like I, I was mentioning some to Brandon who was speaking to me, I said, the, the faith walk is, is a little bit of God helping us, a little bit of a difficult thing. Because, like I gave an example, how many of you can still be singing in prison like Paul and Silas? I mean, you are in prison. Do you still have the moral strength to sing? But yet, we, we, when we come to church, Paul and Silas, they pray, they sang, and the Holy Ghost came up. We took it to be a worship season, but this was a practical experience of the people who were in prison and chained. Then how many of you can go through changed situations? It's like you don't seem to have any hope, and yet you'll be singing. But that gives you what he said, the joy of the Lord 
It's our strength. They got the victory because they were singing even in a very bad condition. They never allowed the spirit of depression to come on them. They never allowed doubts to come on them because it's like saying, can he still save us from this situation? Doubt. Okay. So let's move on. Let's get on to book of First Peter. Let's look at verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 12, and then chapter 5, verse 8. And I look at a few things. There. First Peter 4, verse 12. Are we there? Scripture says, Beloved, think you not strange concerning the fiery trials which is to try you as though some strange things happen unto you. Amen? Fiery trials, not simple ones. Hmm? Then get down to chapter 5, verse number 8. It said, Be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Who resisted fast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Now I want you to know the word, uh, verse number nine, whom resist steadfast in the faith. So what you need to resist him is the faith. Hallelujah. If I may stretch a little bit, not just faith, but the faith. Now when you talk about the faith, you are kind of specifying a type of faith. And in the true sense, you go back to Galatians 2 verse 20, you find this. The faith of the son of God who gave his life for me. Resist the devil in the faith. Hallelujah. Are you getting that? Okay. And he said, he's talking about the same afflictions which are accomplished in your brethren in the world. In other words, there is virtually, like I often tell people, there is nothing new under the sun. Every experience you are having, somebody have had it somewhere. Somebody is having it somewhere and somebody is going to have it somewhere around the world. There is nothing new. There is no case you have today that's peculiar. There is no case you have today that is unique. Everything you can ever pass through, everything that can ever come to you, even as a believer, has already happened, will happen, and is probably happening somewhere around the world. So there is nothing new about your circumstance. We cry the way we cry because sometimes we think we're alone, but we're not alone. Praise the Lord. Okay. Now, here again it says, I want to look at a few things from that first uh, Peter. I say, be sober. When you say somebody is sober, it means somebody who is a little bit alive. When somebody is sober, it's not... It's not as if it's crying. Get, it, get the meaning right. You are in your right mind, if I may use the word. Is that okay? Right. So be sober. In other words, I would rather say it's like saying, I avoid drunkenness. When you are drunk, you are in a state of stupor. You can't reason well. You are confused. Amen? Are you there with me? 
you can allow a drunk man to become sober, then you can speak to the person. In other words, he can reason with you after he has overcome the drunkenness. Is that okay? Okay. So when he said be sober, he simply means be alert. Avoid drunkenness. And this, as we go, I'm going to make you see why it is important. What drunkenness? Drunkenness of your senses. And drunkenness in your soul. Do not be taken over by the concerns of the environment and the world around you. Be sober. Don't allow situations around you to swallow up your mind that your reasoning is no longer effective or effective in relation to your faith and your conviction in God. Am I making sense to you? By implication, don't you ever allow any situation to weigh you down without your understanding and realization that God is still alive. Remember, we're discussing faith. In other words, if you are not sober or if you are drunken with the circumstances around you, you, you lose your senses of the assurance and the conviction of who God is. You lack persuasion that God is alive. Because your environment overweighs you. So God is saying, be sober. In other words, be always at your right mind with an absolute conviction that God is alive. Are you getting that? Good. And there's a reason why he's saying that. So be conscious of the fact that God is not only alive, but you also believe in the teaching of the teacher. Remember what he said before about, about faith. Your conviction about God and a religious teacher in that sense. Is that okay? So you are not only conscious. Remember what Jesus said. He said, if you believe in me, believe also. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In other words, yes, you believe in God. Believe also in the things I'm teaching you. Amen. Okay. The next thing he said, be vigilant. Which means be always watchful. Never be off your guard. Your enemies are alert. They are never off their own. In other words, be alert to design, for instance, little thoughts that could produce negative results. You can easily design them. Because those little thoughts become the stronghold. You know, look what the Bible said. It said, don't give the enemy any stronghold or any foot. Remember that? So, don't allow the enemy to step in at any point in time into your life, through your thoughts. Don't give him a foot. You give him a foot, he takes two feet. And then the next thing, he starts walking. You become the street that he walks upon. All through your thoughts. So anytime, for instance, the simple thought of maybe doubt, unbelief, it could be hatred, it could be jealousy, it could be ill-feeling towards your neighbor, your wife, your husband, your sister, your mother, whoever, when that little thought is coming, check it. That's what he said. Be vigilant. Begin to understand when this little thought is coming into your heart because they bring you to the place at the end of the day, you develop a different spirit. The enemy is already gaining ground. Uh, how many of you can remember when I taught you on what Paul was saying, we are not ignorant of the devices of Satan. Remember that? He said, whom you forgive, I also do what? I have forgiven. 
It was in relation, like I told you in 1 Corinthians 5, it was a relation of a brother who was caught in adultery and there was a spell from the church. But this guy has come to his senses and then Paul was saying, if we don't restore him now, the enemy could take advantage of our continuous discipline and he will lose faith completely. That's what it means. We are not ignorant of the devices of Satan. Are you getting this? Okay. So thoughts, very powerful. So he said, be vigilant. You know the word? Always examine the way you think. Examine the way you feel. Examine your condition. How do I feel now? Am I in a happy mood? Am I depressed? Why am I depressed? What is leading to the depression? Is it, am I thinking somebody's responsible? Why am I depressed? Be vigilant. Examine your thoughts all the time. Examine your feeling all the time. Wake up from the lamp of depression so that you don't allow the enemy a foothold. Amen? Okay. You say you adversary the devil. It's moving about. And this is like speaking to us that our feelings, propensities, and dispositions are all being monitored by unseen forces. I just want to put it that way. In other words, when you come into a state of feeling towards maybe a person, and you're unable to check it on time, it's like saying an unseen force takes hold of that thing to do you harm. By increasing, you know how it comes? It magnifies how the person feels or reacts or responds to you. And the picture you begin to see in your mind is always a negative picture of that individual. Are you getting what I'm talking about? You see, I have always told you this and I want you to take it to heart. Your thoughts are very important. They can either be captured by God divinely or they can be captured by negative forces. Don't you forget, there are elemental spirits all over. And any spirit can capture your thought and walk with it. And that is why I made it to understand that the thoughts of Joseph registered in heaven and God had to dispatch an angel to answer the thought of Joseph by giving direction. Don't send Mary away. He wasn't praying. He was only thinking. Are you getting that? Mary wasn't, I mean, Joseph wasn't praying. When Mary became pregnant, he said, I'm not going to keep this child. It's like, oh, come on, what kind of thing is this? Let me send Mary away. And that thing registered in the spirit. And what was the next response from God? An angel of this part to say, no, the child at his eyes of the Holy Spirit. Are you getting that? Your thoughts can be registered, and it depends on who picks the vibration of your thoughts. Either it's going to work for your good or it's going to pull you down. Are you seeing this? That is why I say be alert. Be alert. Very important. Okay. Praise the Lord. I want you to know this. So, when you try to control this, it's going to help you to overcome the fiery doubts of the enemy. And uh, take away kind of negativities from your life in terms of the way you think. Now, I'm going to look at a few things here again. In what form does the devil tempt us the most? I want to use uh, the three ministry faces of the devil, for instance. Let's go down to the book of uh, 2 Corinthians 11. Very important. 2 Corinthians 11. 
It says, uh, verse 2 here. For I'm jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I've expanded you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Amen. And then verse 3 says, But I fear lest by any means, as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Amen. I would like to read this from the Living Translation. I just like it. I'm reading from verse 1 to 4. I hope you'll be patient with me as I keep on talking like a fool. Do bear with me and let me say what is on my, on my heart. I am anxious for you with the deep concern of God himself, anxious that your love should be for Christ alone, just as a pure maiden says her love for one man only, for the one who will be her husband. But I'm frightened, fearing that in some way you'll be led away from your pure and simple devotion to our Lord, just as evil they see by Satan in the Garden of Eden. You seem, to, you seem so gullible. You believe whatever anyone tells you. And even if he's preaching about another Jesus than the one we preach, or a different spirit than the Holy Spirit you receive, or shows you a different way to be saved, you swallow it all. Now, I, want, I read this so that you can see when he talks about the simplicity that's in Christ. Simplicity is, it's like saying, we're looking at a virgin who is preserving herself for the husband that she is going to be married to. It's like saying a virgin who is betrothed already, but not yet married. Are you getting that? You know that when nothing comes in to defy her. So, you need to understand the place of defilement. What defies this man now, or this woman from this passage, is the mind, the thoughts, informations. Are you listening to that? Remember, faith is your conviction about God. Remember that? And a religious teacher, or as the case may be. So we're talking about your conviction about who God is and about who Christ is. Now, if you commit yourself to Christ as he is, by implication, you are committing yourself and devoting yourself as a wife unto who? Unto Christ. So if somebody else comes to speak something different, what is the person saying? He's trying to tell you Christ cannot do what he is promising he could do to you as a husband. And so, if you watch what happened in the garden, one statement came in, did God say you shall not eat? Are you getting, getting that? <laughs> and then look at what he put it. It's like saying, did God say you cannot eat of the trees in the garden? But that's not what God said. God said don't eat of the one of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But when the tempter came, he generalized the whole thing. And that was also very tempting. They couldn't come, if couldn't come to say no, it was one tree. And God said you should not eat of all the trees. And he said, he knows the day you should eat, you'll be like God. You see, so by implication, that statement shows God is only deceiving you. Now, the devil presented God as a deceiver. So, Adam and Eve lost faith in God. Because this man is deceiving us. He doesn't want us to be as God. <laughs> but faith is a persuasive conviction of who God is and who your religious teacher is, the instructions of Christ. So, in other words, maybe you are sick. Is it true that God can heal? But God knows that if you do this, you can also be healed. Are you getting this? 
Are you following that? It's all the same way. Does God say you should not? He knows that the day. In other words, God is a deceiver. Believe me. Partake of this tree and see the next phase of your life. Hmm? So, that is just it. So, like I told you, when certain things come into your life, what's the next response? And who do you listen to? But whoever you listen to that gives you an instruction or an advice that goes contrary to your religious teacher, to God, that person is a devil. He's operating satanically. It's not, you see, the devil is not some creatures with horns as you see on movies. But anything that shifts your faith from being a complete virgin in your mind unto Christ is satanic. Are we still together? I want you to understand it because to me it's an interesting subject for me. So, that is just the way it is. Okay, let's look at it. It talks about subtlety, for instance. The subtle serpent. Hmm? I'm going to know three phases of how he deceives you. Uh, the subtle serpent. Eh? This is meant to deceive our senses, pervert our judgment, and inflate our imagination in an uncontrollable manner. Once you are beguiled, you see, if you go back to the garden, you see exactly what happened. They were so influenced that they become uncontrollable to the point they have to go and partake of the tree. Their mind was diverted from the simplicity of what God said. Don't do it. They were able to have, if I may use the word, they had a faith but the negative side. Now they had faith more now in Satan than in God because they believe in a teacher. So who do you listen to? That's a question. Who exactly do you listen to? Now, Whatever messages, let me, let me put it this way. Whatever message you listen to, whether television, whether ministers on TV, it doesn't really matter. I don't ever catch this. It doesn't really matter. The truth is, is the message the person preaching from television producing more faith in Christ or is taking your faith away from Christ? That is the issue. It doesn't matter what book the person is using. Could be using the Bible, green color, I mean, red letter, blue letter, whatever. But as long as the message the person is preaching cannot establish your faith more in God, it's satanic. Very simple definition. Anything that shifts your faith from Christ is satanic. Anything that produces fear in your life is satanic. You know, Paul was talking about the doctrine of devil. Remember that? Huh? Book of Timothy there. In the latter days, this thing shall be, and men shall come with the doctrines of devils. Doctrines of devil is not necessarily talking about the devil, you know, giving a doctrine. He's saying men speaking more about the devil than even God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, Faith also comes by hearing and hearing so much about the devil. You trust him more about what the devil can do than what God can do. In fact, this is one of the reasons I don't really subscribe to all those ministries that overblow what the devil does. I don't subscribe to it because of this. Because it destroys the faith 
of the believers and exhort the man preaching the message more than Christ. Does it make sense? Because if you are just centering on delivering people, as the case may be, by promoting what the devil does, men will trust the power in you, but they don't trust Christ to do anything for them without you. Am I talking to somebody? So any situation, the people want to come to look for you. They don't have faith in Christ anymore. You must be there to do the deliverance, or they are never free. Do not believe that what Jesus said, if the Son of Man said if you are free indeed, they can't believe anything. Because everything is centered on the power they are demonstrating. How much of the power of the devil they can destroy in your life and so on and so forth. They do all of these things and your faith is now resting in them instead of resting in who? In Christ. That's the doctrine of the devil. Am I against deliverance? Not at all. We must understand that I have my things in perspective in a balanced form. I believe everything has to be done in a balanced form. While you set people free through the ministry of deliverance, as the case may be, let their faith also rest in who? In Christ. Hallelujah. So that's the subtlety. Shifting your mind. Shifting your mind all the time. God wants you to trust your wife, trust your husband, trust your children, trust your father. God wants you to trust one another. Anything that shifts your mind. And if I listen to me, when a woman or a sister or a brother speaks evil of either your wife or your husband, that is satanic. Because shifting your trust, your confidence from trusting your spouse or your children or your wife. I'm not talking to somebody here. You have to understand. That's why I said be alert. Be alert when you hear information about your neighbor. Be alert because it could shift your mind. I'm telling you how the devil works. Hallelujah. Then the next one he says he comes as an angel of light. Huh? So we can be deceived with false views of spiritual things, refinement in religion, and presumption on the providence and grace of God. If you look at the last one, that is where people could do all manner of things because they say we are under grace. Did you get that? Good. But you know the statement of Paul about that. Good. That's what I'm saying. But that is what he comes as an agent of life. And ministries can promote that. But it is satanic because it takes your faith from what Christ himself had done and what he really stands for in terms of your relationship with him. Being a virgin unto him. Are you catching that? The next thing I want you to see that false views of spiritual things is very important you check it. Everybody promotes what he or she thinks he understands about spiritual things. Amen? The refinement in religion. No, we are... Today, all manner of things goes. I remember sometime, about some four years ago, I was in a meeting and I was speaking to some young people. They actually came in to present song. And you look at them in the meeting, the conference, they were so wild looking. So after the meeting, I called him and said, Man, why don't you? He said, ah, pastor, you see, I'm not defined by what I wear. I'm defined by the Christ in me. I said, well, that's good philosophy. 
Maybe that's what you've been taught. But the truth again remains that what is on your inside is what is showing on your outside. Because a man think it, so is he. You are not different from your inside, people. Let's understand that. And don't forget, why men, why God does not look on the outward in the way we think, man looks on the outward. And if you must be a Christ-like person, they first see your outward before they see your inside. So don't tell me God does. Okay, fine, God doesn't, but man does. And don't you forget, you live amongst men. Amen? People will first receive you before they receive anything you carry. Does that make sense? I said this some time ago when we were talking and I remember in Kenya, this matter came up and I was speaking to them. You see, when we were talking about divine government, I remember some time ago, minister with a wife went to a stadium dressed in jeans and all this kind of stuff and they said they want to read the youth. But to me it's funny. In a way, because if I see the youth as my children, I don't have to be stupid like them to talk to them. If that is what it means. Otherwise, if you need to heal a madman, you have to become mad. I don't have to be like you to be able to talk to you. I carry Christ. It's not me talking. It's Christ talking through me. My influence is not the way you see me because I have to relate to you. If I appear the way I'm appearing, I can talk to you. But I don't have to dress in your dress code to talk to you. I don't think that philosophy is right. Hallelujah. I don't know if I get in this. Otherwise, maybe, I mean, look at the whole world. Look at the way people dress. That means if you must be like them, you have to dress like them. I don't think so. That if Jesus have to talk to people, uh, heal the madman, the cemetery, therefore he has to tear his clothes to be able to talk to the madman. I don't think so. He was still neat and talked to the madman. The madman responded. Am I right? I mean, what kind of philosophy is that? All these are simply angel of lights. Perverting truth because certain things must, I mean, to them have to be promoted or whatever. Anyway, that is just about that. What I'm trying to say is this. Religiously, Satan can operate through ministries to deceive us from the simplicity and the purity of the life we have in Christ. Can I hear an amen to that? Another one, I say, strong as me, I say, roar the lion. Remember, he's not a lion. When he says something is us, that doesn't mean it is. Now, he's acting like he's a lion, but there is not a, it's not a lion. There is only one lion. I mean, if you know that. The lion of the tribe of Judah. We don't have two lions. There is only one lion. Now, he pretends to be like a lion, and you are afraid. Amen? Okay. And now, what does he do as a lion? He tries to bear us down and destroy us by violence, opposition, persecution, and even death. All manner of things that can frustrate your life, he does it. So you get depressed, you get confused, you lose faith. I mean, everything. That is the operation of the satanic influence as a lion. Which is not. Okay, let's move on. It's for time's sake. Amen. How many of you remember what happened in the early church? When they say, we don't want you to speak again in the name of this man. Remember that? Okay. But Peter and I, the people stood up and said, God, give us boldness. 
listening and hear their threatening. Remember that? And the Bible says, after they say that the word of God prevailed much more. In other words, they were trying to muzzle them. They were trying to cage them. They were trying to guard them. You know, oppressive spirits. Sometimes, even by the truth you carry, you find oppression coming your way. Why? They want to put you down. They don't want you to stand for what you believe is the truth. Hallelujah. All right. Uh, what was the work about? You know, it simply means it's roaming. Okay, the Bible looks forward to devour. But there is something very interesting I want you to see here. When it says seeking who we may devour, <laughs> take it up a little bit, precious. Seeking who we may devour. If you look at that statement, to me it's very interesting. It simply means it is not everybody the devil can devour. Hmm? It simply means it's not everybody the devil can pull down. He's looking for the one that he can pull down. That's the point. So fine, the devil can be doing whatever he's doing, but it's not everybody that can be pulled down by the devil. He's seeking whom he can. In other words, whoever he can has certain attribute that the devil can work with to be able to bring the person down. Did you understand what I'm saying? Good. So now, your environment, your state, your mind, your state of environment can determine the power of the devil in working in your life. It may be here, hear the statement of Jesus. The prince of the world cometh and he shall find nothing in me. Did he say so? Good. That means there can be something in you before the devil can do what? Succeed. So when he says seeking for, it's not just looking for, if I may use the word in quote, innocent person hiding somewhere. Not that per se. But there must be something that attracts him to you. When you begin to manifest or develop one or two things that it can work with, then of course you become a target. And those are part of the things I mentioned before. Depression, doubt, hatred, jealousy, you know, unforgiving spirit. All of those things, he works with them. So if you're looking for who, if you have one of them, you attract him. He knows. Is that okay? Praise the Lord. So I just wanted to see that. So we see that those who are not mindful of their faith and so careful with the system of the wall around them are the ones he can easily pull down even from within. And to me, this is very important. The devil doesn't pull you down from the outside. He pulls you down from within. I would like you to see that. Uh, you remember the word sober. It means don't be drunk on the other side. Is that okay? All right. So if he said don't be drunk, it means you can be drunk. Is that all right? Now, the man that is drunk means there is something you swallow that goes down on your inside. It is what you swallow that enables the devil to bring you down. That is right. You can't stagger until you drink alcohol. Does that make sense? Okay, now. So, for instance, we say, uh, this man needs deliverance. The devil is working on him. But the devil is working because he takes in alcohol. Are you following what I'm talking about? You become stupid in the street, you do a manner of thing because you are drunk. All right. In other words, the devil can't work on you until there are certain things you swallow. 
deep down. So the power of the devil is directly connected to what you take in. Am I making sense to you? And if you're taking in things in your environment, if you are taking things from everybody, if you are taking things from whatever people say, it definitely can work on your life by pulling you down. Now, understand this. Negative faith producing an environment will definitely affect your positive faith if it's not strong enough. By implication, what people say that you take in is part of your drunkenness. Is that okay? Okay, for instance, let's put it this way. If I come to you and whisper to you, you, you kind of have some confidence in me now, I'm sure. And if I come to you and say, this is what that person told me about you. Okay. Now, you have had something. Your mind towards the person who said that to you will never be the same again. Am I right? Now, why is it changing because of what you've heard? That means there is something you have swallowed. You are drunk with an information. Because drunkenness takes you to the place where your own temperament is altered. Hmm? Yeah, your temperament gets altered. Once any man is drunk with alcohol, his speed changes, his movement changes. Are, are you following that? Everything about you changes. So, information that alters your spiritual work is synonymous to drunkenness. Now, you can be drunk with the wine of the spirit or you're drunk with the system of Babylon. It's all drunkenness. Amen? So to me, those who stagger in faith are those who are drunk with the system of the world. You can't lose your faith if the world is not affecting you. Abraham did not stagger in faith because the world around him would not influence him to disbelieve the God who made the promises to him. Hmm? So the Bible says he staggered not at faith. So those who stagger at faith or in their faith simply means they are drunken by the system of the world and the environment that they live in. Lack of faith is the world influencing you. Let's go down just a little bit fast. So what was it that Jesus overcame? For instance, let's go to John 16 verse 33. See if we're beginning to put down, put through tonight. Jesus overcame certain things. For instance, we know Jesus was not a sinner. Is that alright? John 16 33. These things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome what? The world. What did he overcome? He was a perfect man. He had no sin in him. What was it that Jesus overcame? Let's get down to 1 John 2. And then we'll look at 15 to 17. What makes the world? 1 John 2. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, love not the world doesn't mean you don't drive a good car. Huh? You need to get in the perspective. Are you still there? 
Love not the world doesn't mean you can't drive a good car. But the key thing is, there is a measure of love you have for material things that become evil. Is that okay? Now, he said, for all that is in the world, now begin to see, the loss of the flesh and the loss of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world passed away, and the loss thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abided forever. Is that all right? Okay, what does it mean? It means when we say the world, we're actually looking at three major things. The world is not just the globe, the world is not just the things of the world, but the desire you have for those things at the essence of your love for God is what makes it worldly. For instance, uh, to be fast, get down to Genesis 3. Genesis 3. Take it up there in your Bible. The wall. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, loss of the flesh, it was pleasant to the eyes, loss of the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, pride of life. Are you getting that? She took of the fruit, therefore, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat also. Is that all right? These are the three things. So when he said the wall, you are just talking about what happened in the garden. And so when you go to Matthew 4, 1 to 11, you are going to see that these three, three things were presented to Jesus. So when he said, I have overcome the world, in other words, I did not allow the loss of the eyes, the loss of the flesh, the pride of life to overtake me. Can I hear an amen? Did you get that? If you go down to Matthew, you see that the same thing that was presented to Adam and Eve was presented to who? To Jesus. So what he's trying to tell the disciples is, listen to me. If I could overcome, you also can do what? Overcome. When he said, be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. In other words, I was able to overcome the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And because I was able to overcome, I'm also going to equip you and empower you to be able to do what? To overcome sin. Hallelujah. Are we together? So I want you to understand it in a very simple way. We're still going to continue next week on the issue of faith. But there's a need for you to understand these things. If certain things are presented to your mind, the things you see, the things you share is, and all of these things try to ship your devotional love to God or to Christ, it becomes what? Satanic. Whoever presents that to you is like an angel disguised, I mean the devil disguising as what? An angel of light. So we need to understand. Praise the living God. What is faith? Your persuasive conviction of God and a religious teacher. In other words, saying we believe whatever thing Christ tells us is true. We can believe it. We can trust it. We can rely on it. We have the assurance that Christ cannot deceive us. Therefore, don't allow anything else to do what? To deceive you from trusting him 100%. Thank you.